My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Welcome to episode 101 of Legally Clueless. I am so excited, so proud that we got here. Like, ah, it just feels so good. And it feels so good to have you listening. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, first and foremost, there are some strange noises in my neighborhood. Okay, not strange. Kids. (laughs) But kids are strange, so yeah. And we have quite a few more birds than normal these days which is not a bad thing but you tend to hear them in the background when i'm recording i don't mind it i hope you don't either and then if again you're new to this podcast make sure you join our online platforms or communities which is twitter use the hashtag legally clueless and instagram at legally clueless podcast so i'm so excited for this episode because the story that is featured is by somebody who i know personally and have known for a while in fact i consider us friends i hope we're friends dennis <laughs> and i'm not just fussing issues so we went to IB together you could call that form five form six but we've stayed in touch ever since and another reason I'm excited about it is because his dad who is in the health world really was so gracious to my mom so helpful when she was going through her cancer treatment listen to a bit of his story you know being in class and being in Kenya we used to mimic our teachers I remember playing Will in Oklahoma and I was playing this cowboy number one the only cowboys I'd seen were on TV I think the misconception for me was that acting is a hobby I decided to audition for the New York Film Academy my teacher she told us that she worked on the Titanic and she was doing the voiceover roles of the screams enacting the death scenes within the Titanic film I remember us even watching these films at the Warner Brothers studio I see one of the requirements is you have to speak a language that is African I see that they say Swahili preferred And guess what? I really wanted that role badly. And I didn't end up hearing back from them. Now, I actually broke my kneecap in half doing a boot camp class. And I knew that I had to lay on a bed for about six months learning how to walk again. Oh, I can't wait for you to hear that entire story. But I'll get into that a little later in this episode. So first and foremost, I just want to thank you for showing the 100th episode special so much love. Oh my word. (laughs) I was a bit nervous when it came to putting it out on all the platforms. I didn't know what the reactions would be, but I did know that we had worked so hard on it. And I was just like, I pray people enjoy the work of our hands (laughs) and enjoy this milestone. And we've gotten such positive feedback. I really wish I had the budget to be able to do more of those specials because I don't just want to do video episodes of the podcast. I think the space we have now, this audio space is so intimate and it's so awesome. But doing video specials like that, I I do hope (laughs) I get a budget consistent and big enough to be able to do that more often. But in the meantime, thank you so much for showing it all the love you have. Like... (gasps) The feedback has been so affirming, validating, and so beautiful, not only for me, but for everybody who is involved in the production. So thank you. And if you have not watched it, I will once again put a link to it in the description of this episode. Another thing is I haven't even gotten to share about my birthday (laughs) shenanigans. Well, mainly because my focus was the 100th episode, but that weekend was so beautiful. I genuinely think this has been my best birthday ever. So I turned 32 and first and foremost, the third floor, Yanni, your 30s is wonderful. Oh my God. I would never go back to my 20s. My 20s were the ghetto. They were so confused, so full of noise, especially the first five to six years of my 20s. But 30s are so beautiful. Everything is like the clarity I have is just so magnificent. And this particular birthday was awesome because I think I'd done so much internal work that I genuinely was 
present, conscious, and loving on the people who love me so beautifully. And ah, it was so great. So I just had Friday, I had dinner with my family. So they came over to our home. It was the first time my niece <laughs> got to be here. And so she was so excited with our fake grass on the balcony. <laughs> She really loves green things and all things nature. Nobody tell her that the grass is fake. So she was going wild there. She was in my office, my recording space, which was so wonderful to... Obviously, I know she doesn't understand now we are in an office, but it was great to have her aura and have her in here and to celebrate my birthday with her. I don't know if any of you is an aunt or an uncle, but this shit is magical. <laughs> It really is magical. So that was awesome. And then I had a pajama party on Saturday into Sunday with my best friend Val. Of course, you know her and Seba. And that was ah so great. So good for my soul. I love those two women. Oh, we spoke for so long. I think I was going to bed at 6.26 a.m. Do not ask what was in my system that assisted me. <laughs> to stay awake until 6 26 a.m but that was the time i was getting into bed <laughs> ah but it was so wonderful so i have to say right now where i'm at coming out of my birthday weekend and the 100th episode of this podcast i'm so proud so proud of myself like i look back at how i was doubting myself when i was resigning from my last job and i'm like if that chick only knew the greatness that was awaiting her so i'm i'm very proud of myself i'm so energized to do more and to create ah that's even why i'm writing more and i'm just trying to do more things around the podcast i'm very energized to do more i'm so validated right now i'm getting to this milestone it's just validated that what i do first brings me so much joy what i do is impactful and is valid and i'm just in a really good headspace okay i want you to check out the song of the week which is such a fantastic song Ah, like the message that is so layered. There's a rap at the end that is just so powerful. But of course, it's by Janelle Monet and Zoe Kravitz. And the name of the song is Screwed. It's from one of my favorite albums by her, Dirty Computer. I really love Screwed because my takeaway from it is just how creatives, people who are seen to be others and outsiders, the people that society doesn't really ask guys yani. <laughs> society doesn't really accept or is trying to understand us and they really can't we are the people who are going to solve the mess that society has made of itself that was part of my understanding of the song if you listen to the lyrics but again it's art so everybody interprets it differently please listen to the song i'll put a link to it in the description of this episode it is so amazing i love it so so much and i hope you love it as well right about now i want us to jump into 100 african stories of course, our storyteller is Dennis, and he talks about, as a scientist, leaving that side of the world and auditioning to join the New York Film Academy. He drops so many gems of wisdom. This is definitely one of my favorite stories. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. My name is Dennis Mailu and I'm from Nairobi, Kenya. Okay, I first fell in love with acting. Oh gosh, I can't even pinpoint a specific time in my life because I've always seemed to enjoy it and love it. But when I kind of look back in time, I remember being a child and uh, watching a lot of movies while being in the living room in my parents' house, like Terminator 2 and watching Batman Returns, jumping off the couches, trying to enact what I saw on TV. I'd also mime and kind of speak about the different scenes in my own way of what I understood back then. My parents say that back in the day when I was a child, I used to have a rubber duck. When I was in, uh, you know, when I used to bath, this rubber duck used to squeak when I used to squeeze it. So I would actually make the same sounds of that rubber duck. <laughs> Little did I know I was doing like my own voiceover kind of work whilst I was a child. So acting popped up later on in my life as I was growing up through high school. Um, I went to St. Mary's High School and it was a very important part of my growth in terms of the curriculum. We had a very good extracurricular activity kind of schedule. And it was fantastic because we had great teachers and they kind of encouraged us to build up our artistic side. So 
I managed to do a lot of musicals. I did Oklahoma. And then I also did uh, very many, <laughs> you know, being in class and being in Kenya, we used to mimic our teachers. So I remember us being in class and imitating specific teachers, but little did I know that was a performance aspect as well. Mimic how they walk into class, how they teach us, how they sometimes punish us. And it kind of endeared us to these teachers. It connected us to them, to our classmates and how we kind of were living in this little mini realm of performance. Yes, I have moments which make me laugh when I think of how I was acting back in the musicals in St. Mary's. I remember playing Will in Oklahoma and I was playing this cowboy. So it was very interesting for me to play a role of a cowboy in an African setting because number one, the only cowboys I'd seen were on TV. So I could only mimic what I'd seen there. So I remember trying to put on the Southern dialect and I don't know if I was doing very well at it, but it sounded very interesting. I also remember singing and dancing with boots on. And to me, that was absolutely hilarious. But I enjoyed just putting myself in that mindset and connecting with everyone on stage. Uh, I also remember there being a horse that walked in the middle of our school hall and all the parents were there. And I was like, wow, this is really it. This is production value. We're going up. And I just felt like a star. So that was amazing. I really loved that experience. Well, at that point in time, when I was in high school and looking at acting as a whole and as a career, I, I definitely knew I loved it, but I didn't know how much. It continued to be something I was cultivating as I was pursuing my academics. So I went to the UK and uh, after I finished my international baccalaureate at St. Mary's, and that's where I studied my environmental sciencing from my bachelor's up to all the way up to my PhD. But I never stopped acting all this time. It was always something I did on the quote unquote on the side. It was only till about 2016 when I realized that when something follows you throughout your life and there's a through line, there's a reason why you want to pursue certain things. And just the same effort I put into my PhD and went in full throttle, I thought, you know what? It's only right that I dedicate the same amount of time into my acting if you ever want to get anywhere. So it's very interesting that towards the latter stages of my uh, studies in the UK is when I actually started taking it very seriously as a career. I began the process of balancing the acting career and the environmental career towards, as I said, the latter stages of, of my um, studies. However, when I started my first degree, Bachelor of Environmental Sciences at the University of East Anglia, I was actually part of the UEA, which is the acronym for the university, UEA Drama Society. And I, we'd put up a lot of plays and shows. So the through line still continued from St. Mary's all the way to the UK. And uh, I did a couple of plays then when I was in my master's. I tried, but I didn't have that much time to do it because the master's in the UK is very short and it's very quick. It was about, I did it for a year. And then um, I jumped into my PhD. Now, during my PhD time, I had a lot more time to research and actually look at the aspects of acting. So I was still involved in it and performance aspects to some level where I would do, I was part of a dance troupe for a while. And the acting part came towards the end when I was going to Notting Hill and doing screen acting classes. And I would balance these with the time that I was doing my thesis and teaching at the time at the university. And then a point came in my life towards the end when I was just doing my work. And I thought, you know what, it wouldn't hurt me to try an audition for a school in the USA and see if I can do more of this learning. Because I think the misconception for me was that acting is a hobby, acting is fun. and But when you take it seriously as a career, there are certain protocols and certain steps that you have to ensure to build your artistry and keep it consistent when called upon and when performing. So I decided to audition for the New York Film Academy in Los Angeles. And when I went there and I auditioned in London and they gave me a talent-based discount is when I told myself, you know what, maybe there's something here. However, now I had to make the leap from one country, something that I was totally used to, to another. So the day that I had to audition for the New York Film Academy, which was a very big audition for me, I remember waking up very early in the morning. This is 
when I was back in Reading. So Reading is about a 20-minute train from London. And I remember waking up and having my favorite meal. I love avocado on toast with a few eggs on that. So I had to have my favorite meal to kind of propel me to that. And deep down, I knew that I had done the work in terms of I had my two monologues, contemporary and classic. And I was very confident that I'd done the work with memorization and with working on the characters, but there was still nerves that I had. So all the way along the train, I was still reading what I was supposed to be performing. Back in uh, Nairobi, when we were in high school, I remember when we were preparing for exams, we used to write our notes on a small piece of paper or foolscap. We'd fold it in four uh, sections and you'd number each one, two, three, four. And we used to have these small pieces and you'd fold up these papers with all your notes, tuck them into your pocket and we call them Wakenyas. And this would be like, kind of like a go-to thing that you could look and kind of remember what you would supposed to write in your exam, like a mini study guide or postcards, as they say out here in the States. So I had my acting more Kenya, which I was reading on the way to the train and on the train all the way to the interview. So I got there. I saw where I was supposed to audition. I signed up. There was a bit of a wait. But when I walked into the room, they were very friendly and welcoming. So the staff at New York Film Academy, they have a couple of campuses around the world. They actually travel to different cities to find students and talent that they can bring on. So after I auditioned for that, I felt liberated. It was almost like I was on autopilot. I loved the thrill of it, but the beauty of auditions is that you never know what results you're going to get at that particular point in time. So I actually did the audition, walked away, but the feeling of just letting loose of that free fall, quote unquote, living. I really enjoyed that feeling. So I was telling myself, wow, if this is what one can get by doing what they love all the time, I want that feeling all the time. So I remember going back home and I was just content because I knew I'd given it my all. So I didn't have a pre-designed ending to how that audition would have went, that prepared me when I got the email saying that I was going to New York Film Academy. I mean, the joy was that much more because sometimes when you put your work into something and then you fully let go and let the universe take care of it because your intention is pure and you gave it your all, you always get back positive rewards. So that was with my letter, showed it to the family, and thankfully they're very supportive. They've always known I've been a performer of sorts. The question is, did I have the strength enough to just dive in and do it? Because that's a personal decision. The day I get to New York Film Academy, I remember this was all the way back in 2017, May. I remember getting to my accommodation at Burbank, a place called Oakwood Apartments. And uh, the beauty of that is that it was not what I was used to in terms of a campus setting. It was very much into the real kind of, how do I describe it? It's more like they thrust you into the industry from an early point in your training. So even where I lived was a community of actors. It wasn't like a campus. A lot of the people who were there were part students, other ones were actually working directors, writers, and producers in the industry. So you get to learn these networking tools of how you can build your artistry through uh, communicating with other uh, professionals in the field. And I remember getting there, settling down into my little studio apartment, going to register. And this is the first time I looked into other people's eyes and realized, hey, you know what? We're all here for the same thing. We're here to pursue this dream. We're here to enact this career no pun intended, but to take it all the way to the top. And it was just fantastic as I was registering, seeing the drive in other students' eyes because you have to commend a lot of these people who've come from various backgrounds. I found out I wasn't the only one who studied and did another degree. There were so many people who did that, but they're willing to explore and open up themselves in a way that most of us are not used to. I mean, it takes a lot for people to open up and showcase that emotional side of them. And that's what acting does. You're bearing yourself, uh, you're laying yourself bare on stage for people to understand the human behavior and concept better. So a lot of these people were nervous with me on the first day registering, but it also just showcases that bravery of wanting to emote and let others connect with you. 
Uh, so when I was beginning at the New York Film Academy, yes, I did have some fears that kind of were lingering on with me. You, I was always thinking, one, being a scientist and uh, having this background of where you have your hypothesis and you work with your experiment, then you write your discussion and you get your results. There's always an end point and you can always see what you're doing in science and how you're getting to the end of it. The difference is with acting, you're putting yourself out there. You can have the dream and you can have the drive to get to where you want to. But the path is not so clear for those who have not done the work to realize or live in that state where you want to get to. So I did have fears in the very beginning because I hadn't quite realized my current state. I wasn't living and breathing as an actor just yet. I was just making the step. And one can go through the motions when you're doing any task in life and think, you know what, I'm doing what I'm doing. But are you truly living and breathing in that state? So at that point in time, it took me a while to realize that, listen, Dennis, you've transitioned you're here, you're an actor, you're a living, breathing actor. So I have to preserve myself and carry myself as such. So that fear lasted. Secondly, there was also a point where I just did not I was comparing myself to other actors, of course, when I was in school. So you get the fear that you might not be good enough at some point. So you see brilliance in others and you're like, wow, I would want to be like that other actor. Or, oh, this actor's got this tool that I do not have. And there's always a fear is like, what tool works best? Is that tool better than what I have? But then you realize at the end of the day, again, it took time for me to nurture this and, and preserve it up till this point, is that you are enough as an actor. Little did I know that, as Stanislavski says, to act is to live and to live is to act. All my life experiences, all the way from when I was a child up until that point, they matter in acting because you've got that emotional memory, you've got the sense memory to bring up these feelings that you've had or these scenarios that you have into your scene work, therefore making them more organic and making them that much more potent when you perform. So nothing goes to waste. So I knowing that you're enough is something that I had to learn as well. That was a fear that I was having. Am I enough? Am I not enough? But later on in life, you realize your journey is your destination. Some of the classes that we do in acting school... And by the way, it's very interesting you speak about classes and the memories that I had in the past and what we studied because for it's always an ongoing process. It's a muscle that we keep exercising. So even right now on Zoom, I do do acting workshops just to keep your muscle of acting alive, even through this trying time. So it's always something you can improve on, kind of like going to the gym. But so, just to take it back to some of the classes that we used to do, we would do classes such as the actual theory of acting. So we have very many acting teachers who brought about different concepts up till this day. We have Stanislavski, who kind of was like a founding father of the method of acting. And through him, he had a lot of students, uh, like Lee Strasberg, who teaches the method. You've got Sanford Meisner. You've got David Mamet. You've got so many facets and actors who teach their method in a specific way. So we went through this book called Training of the American Actor. It's by Arthur Bartow. And it has different styles of acting or different methods in which you can bring out specific emotions when acting. Then we would do classes such as voice and speech, where we learn how to speak better. Diction is a very important thing. How to pronounce specific words. Sometimes it feels like it's a higher level of what we would learn in high school because you'd learn how to pronounce certain words, but there's specific ways you'd speak for performance. I, I can give you a specific uh, example for voice and speech when I knew it was important is when my teacher uh, at the New York Film Academy back in 2017, she told us that she worked on the Titanic, the film, and she was doing the voiceover roles of the screams enacting the death scenes within the Titanic film. So she was actually making those sounds consistently, day over day, for hours on end. 
And she taught us this thing called voice recall, where you kind of preserve your voice and you kind of wrap it in a velvety feel in your throat so that you can be able to scream multiple times without wearing yourself out. So there's a level of endurance that comes with it. I remember that from voice and speech. And even till today, I've always wanted to be great at dialect. So voice and speech was actually my greatest and uh, best module. Even up till today, I do study dialects and learn so much about it. So that was another one we did. We also did um, physical acting. So the physicality of acting, learning how to put your body under duress and really test yourself and still be able to perform under that duress. We have styles. I do a lot of styles classes. So styles is like where you enact restoration period pieces from the past, comedic, very timely pieces, and you embody the physicality in terms of your props and your costume. So there are very many facets, and it's a very technical thing, because for every performance, you have to be prepared. And I think that's where people think it's a hobby, because when you watch it on the television or you go and watch it in the theater, it seems very, quote unquote, seamless. But there's a lot of work that goes into breaking down a script, which is another module that we do, script analysis, of you try to understand what the writer is giving you and what your job is as an actor to perform those specific tasks given to you through that script. So memorizing it is just one thing. Embodying it is like another step of that. And then the beauty of it, when you get on stage and when you get on set and you manage to let go, you find out that you and the character have become one. So you don't have to be thinking about the work you put in. You don't have to be thinking about the lines that you did. You live in the moment, which is very important. So you have to do that prior work in order for it to be as organic as you see through great actors and their performances on stage and screen. So the graduation day at the New York Film Academy was, it was very close-knit. It was concise. We had a theater where we went through and we looked at what we'd done. We made a, a short film as a class and it was a kind of our seeing off party. I remember us even watching these films at the Warner Brothers studio because that's where they were releasing them. And it was kind of like a parent letting go of your hand into the industry. So that was what it felt like, you know, and it was memorable in the fact that I felt I'd achieved specific tools that I could use to go into the outside world. And just like anyone who embarks on a journey, once you get to the penultimate point, it's a celebration. So it was much more a celebration, but in the ba at the back of my mind, I was still aware of the task that I had ahead of me because now I was walking into quote unquote the industry, you know, no holds barred. Go and see what I can bring and showcase at that point in time. So it was a very exciting time and uh, nerve wracking is the word that comes to mind. It was nerve-wracking, but exciting at the same time. So after graduation, when you step into the actual industry, it's more so, it's like a business venture. Think about it like you cultivating yourself as a brand, as an actor, and you're putting yourself out there to showcase what you can give the industry. So from day one, when you get out of school, you're already submitting yourself into breakdowns and castings online. So there are several platforms that they have here in the USA, like Actors Access, LA Casting, uh, Central Casting, Backstage. And they post all the breakdowns for different shows and different short film projects, voiceover projects that you can submit yourself using your headshot and your reel. So now, taking it back a step, you actually have to have specific tools before you even attempt to submit yourself. It's very important that you have an online presence and a physical presence. So the first thing I remember doing when I went out of school is getting a good set of headshots because headshots showcase who you are. This is where people can see your character. And a lot of casting directors speak about it's in the eyes. You know, there's a way in which you take those headshots or quote unquote photographs, you know, that are used for 
uh, auditions and they really showcase your character. So sometimes when you read these breakdowns and you see the way the character is laid out, they're going to say, for example, we're looking for, we're casting for a character called Bakari. His age is between 24 to 34. And they give you a little log line or synopsis, a little short line about who this character is and what he does. Then you would look at that, see if you fit in that, if you can play that role, and then you'd submit your headshot as one of the parts. The second part is having an acting reel. A reel is like a very short clip of a minute 30 to two minutes showcasing all your acting prowess. Now, to have a reel, you have to have done some work. So just like you are speaking to me, Adele, about putting in the work, putting in the podcast work and really putting yourself out there and understanding that every little counts, you realize that a lot of these projects that you do in your own spare time. And luckily, when I was at the New York Film Academy, I was aware of this. So I was part of some short films and some projects because I knew in the future I'd have to have this reel that I would use to showcase my acting prowess up until that point in my career. And it's almost like a montage of what you do. So that acting reel, is ve it's very meticulous in the way you choose it, how you start it, how you end it, what characters you played in the short films, and do you put them there? Because we all have a type in the industry. So we all look a certain way. This is why I keep saying you are enough. You have to look at what you are, what you embody, your, your whole essence, and know that is what you play. So some people play a professional character. Some people just look like doctors. Some people look like drug addicts. Some people look like sportsmen. But that, if you understand your type, quote unquote, or your brand, as I was saying in the beginning, you know what roles are there for you. Not to say that you cannot audition or have an acting range for a various amount of roles, but it's very important to know who you are. And that is the biggest thing that I learned about going into the industry and acting as a whole. You have to know who you are. So in the process of acting, I got to know myself better. It's actually very interesting that it came full circle. What I was trying to learn made me learn more about myself. So when I was going into the industry, putting out my headshots, putting out the resume, doing some submissions, you almost know what you're doing, if albeit being in some new territory. So that was the beginning part. Then you'd put in these submissions, you'd go for auditions. Sometimes you don't get called in all the time for an audition. It's not automatic because so many people are doing the same thing as well. <laughs> and uh, you find that sometimes your type and the more you understand yourself, the more you know your your niche and the more you can drive yourself forward. How do I navigate with rejection or in an audition or when I find a role that I really want and I didn't get through the first stage? So back in the day when I was working in the industry, this is a couple of years back, I'd say two years back, I got this audition breakdown and it was for a love story about this love story that had transitioned over time in different continents and cultures. So guess what? There was a part of an African caveman who was falling in love and painting these murals on the wall in the cave. So as soon as I saw that breakdown, I was already captured and I was interested. I was like, you know what? This is a great, great audition for me. So I read the logline. I see one of the requirements is you have to speak a language that is African. So I was like, okay, okay, okay. We're getting somewhere here. We're getting somewhere. Further on into reading the logline, I see that they say Swahili preferred. Oh my God. At this point in time, I was excited. I was like, you know what? This role is made for me. There's no way I can walk. I have to walk into this audition and I'm just going to speak Swahili. I'm going to get this role. I can even teach them what to say if the Swahili was not grammatically correct because I remember in IB, I did higher level Swahili. So I was like, you know what? Let me go to this thing. You know, so I, I went all the way to the audition. First mistake I made, I walked into the audition thinking I would be the only one because there are very few, I guess, actors in LA who speak Swahili. So we're a handful and they come few and far between. So I walked in there and first thing I see is the whole place was packed with actors who were just ready to go in there. So ready, they had even dressed 
as the African caveman. Now, this to me was a mistake that I made earlier on in my career. Knowing that you do, you have to go into your audition to kind of project or relay what the role you're auditioning for is. So if I'm going there as a doctor, you would dress in a way that insinuates a doctor. Not saying that you go in there with your lab coat, stethoscope, you know, you're holding your pad or you walk in there miserable as if you're going to break down some sad news to a patient. No, 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 no. It just means you you kind of, uh, you project that outward appearance of the doctor. Of course, you're going to embody it in the essence. But if I wore, say, a white long-sleeved shirt and I untucked it, that would give that element of a lab coat. So I'm not going too far with it, but you can get the picture. Now, the first mistake I made when I went to this audition is that I did not dress up as the African caveman or the African character that I was relaying. First off, I was just so confident in just me being the African and I took that for maybe for granted the fact that I should have just gone an extra step to showcase it so and then I got into the audition I auditioned for it it went fantastic I had a great auditioning partner I did manage to speak Swahili which I was very happy about but and she was from Nigeria so she got to speak a little bit of Yoruba so that's another part which I understood I was so sure in the sense that they would not be flexible in that little instruction, but they were willing to see and understand different cultures. So that's another thing that taught me. Dennis, number two, be open-minded because in the audition room, anything can happen. You need to be willing to open yourself fully. And I left that audition thinking I'd got it. I actually left that audition knowing that I had one up over everyone else just because of my authenticity as knowing that I am Kenny. But I hadn't per se ticked off these small boxes. And guess what? I really wanted that role badly. And I didn't end up hearing back from them. Now, it was so disheartening in the sense that I was holding on to that. So much so that fate would come back and show me that same short film through a friend of mine. So I met a friend of a friend who's African-American. And when I saw his Instagram and I saw one of the films he was promoting and how he was speaking, I was like, wait a minute, I know this short film. This is about a year later. I was like, wow, this is what I wanted to do. Oh my goodness. He was actually putting the work. He looked like a caveman. He did everything that was supposed to be into it and kudos to him for getting that role. And till this day, we're still very, we're very good friends. Yeah, there are lots of setbacks that one can go through um, not only emotionally, but physically. I just happened to be unfortunate in the sense that in uh, 2018, the beginning, top of the year, I actually broke my kneecap in half doing a boot camp class, uh, which is very unfortunate because it was outdoors and and I happened to step into a ditch and the rest is history. <laughs> that was a very trying time because being an actor, your body is what, this is your instrument. You know, they say the body is your instrument. It's what you use for work. And I knew that I had to lay on a bed for about six months learning how to walk again. That to me was a very mentally challenging time. I really had to put in my all. I'm a very positive person as it is. And um, I guess a lot of that positivity kind of drove me through that path, through doing all the physical therapy sessions, learning how to strengthen those muscles within my leg. Also, just letting myself heal and accepting that that is the moment. I think that was the biggest thing for me when I accepted that there was nothing I could do about it. Sometimes we go through things in life and traumatic events and they do linger on with us and we may wallow in what we are lacking and we might think of what we wish we were doing or what we wish wouldn't have happened. But there's this writer, he's called Eckhart Tolle. He's an author. He talks about the power of now. We control a lot of our destiny and what we do as of right now and how we feel. So guess what? When I was lying in bed mentally, I didn't actually, I cannot even say that I was depressed because at some point I understood what happened to me and I realized this is what happened. It is the now and I have to embrace this as part of my journey. But what can you do in that state? What can you do in that state to ensure that you get to a better state? I was already doing it. I was doing the physical therapy exercise. As minuscule as they were, learning how to twitch my big toe at the bottom of that bed to learning how to contract my muscle to hobbling with my crutches 
to the to the bathroom when I needed to go or knowing that I couldn't take a full shower. I needed to use water and a cloth like on a day-to-day basis. A nurse used to come and help me with all of this. It's trying because you're not, it's not the norm. It's not something you're used to. But knowing that you're putting in the steps and the work to get where you get to, is that much more empowering? So those little steps, and sometimes we get discouraged. I mean, we're all humans. We get discouraged and we see that the journey is far and we look at the destination or the event and that's where we want to get to. But if you take a moment and pause and just look back at where you are at a specific point in your life, if you've come from hardship, you realize that every step you took and where you are right now, is better than where you were a while back if you put in the work. So whenever I'd want to learn to run again and I miss running and I used to tell myself, oh man, I miss just, you know, running on the fields or doing those bootcamp classes, missing, uh, doing a lot of the athletic drills. I remember, hey, Dennis, take a moment to pause. Three weeks ago, you couldn't actually walk on this leg. Now you're moving step by step with one crutch. That is a blessing in itself, you know? So I take the little victories. Whenever you're put with setbacks, I look back and I take the little victories because those are going to put you forward. And having that uh, power and that strength, like I could solely says, the power of now, really cultivate and grow and learn that you can only know what you know when you know it in the moment. The future will handle itself. The past has happened, but you can only heal from it by accepting what has happened and showcasing. And guess what? I actually got to learn a lot about the industry, much more than I ever would when my kneecap was broken. I subscribed to every, and when I say every, I mean every platform you know for shows and movies because I watched a lot of shows on Netflix. They have a a platform called Hulu in the USA. I subscribe to HBO. I subscribe to stars and I watch such an array of acting and it helped me understand and see so many scenes and character work done throughout a specific period of time. And that only informed my acting and my knowledge and my data bank of acting prowess and, and, and actual key players within the industry. So we have this tool called IMDb Pro and it's a very important tool for every actor because it shows you what projects actors are going to do what productions they're in, who runs those productions, the cast, the crew, and it showcases what they've done, their contact details. So for example, if I like a specific kind of movie or I like a specific type of genre as an actor, or I want to be in a certain type of show, I can actually go onto IMDb, look up who wrote that film or project. I can look up who the casting director for that project is, see if they've got any similar projects that are up and coming or any other projects they work on. And I can actually get to know who casts specific types of shows. Maybe there's a casting director who likes to cast a lot of psychological thrillers or any horrors. Or if I look back and I say, for example, like Black Panther, I know it's Ryan Coogler who... Uh, directs it. And you can know, oh, Ryan Coogler promotes these types of films. What type of upcoming films does he have? He's looking maybe for diverse actors. He might want some people who play African roles. So you can almost do your own research and control your destiny at that point. So this was a very learned time for me when I was injured because I learned a lot of about a lot of casting directors, casting houses, the process behind a lot of these films through watching them, researching them at the time when I was lying on that bed for six months, and also reading a lot of books and articles that were related to the craft. So I take it as a blessing in disguise. Sometimes our trauma only sets us up to be better human beings and to get to another point in our life. So actually, I don't take that time as downtime. I don't take it as trauma now that I look back. I see it as a point where it's a milestone, a learning milestone that gets you to the next point. It happened for a reason. Why I had to break my kneecap to learn all that, I don't know. You know, I I could have done with a little bit of a flu, you know, or maybe something smaller so that I didn't have to go through all that physical therapy. But guess what? I went through it. And I love exercise that much more now because it's a part of my daily life because what started as something that was a hobby and taking it half-heartedly, I began really rehabbing my leg and fell in love with it. So maybe it was for me to realize where my health was and take it to the next level. So unfortunately, I went through the same thing 
on the left side. I injured the left side and broke that kneecap because sometimes they're lower extremity problems. So with the lower body, you find sometimes because of the imbalances, when you hurt one side, you hurt the other. But guess what? This happened towards the top of the year and the recovery was very quick. It was nothing like what I went through the first time. I've got some metal in my right knee, but my left knee is actually very healthy right now. Like it it got so strong that I feel like it's healed faster than the side that I got injured on the first time. So this one was just the same issue. Just because of imbalances, sometimes it can happen and the doctor did warn me about that. So it's unfortunate it happened, but I'm past that now and I am actually in the best shape I've ever been. So some of the highlights that have validated my acting career thus far are some of the roles that I've ended up getting within this industry and in particular, how I got them. Like I remember back in 2018, I auditioned for this role of an American gangster in a TV film called Blue Light Melody. It's on Amazon Prime right now. And I was in the opening scene and I'm meant to play this African-American gangster. And I went there and I tried my best to portray this character. And within the audition, I kind of went in there giving it my all this time. Not like the first time when I <laughs> was playing the Kenyan guy you know. So I, I went in fully prepared for this role. And guess what? It brought me back full circle. As I finished the audition, he said, you know what, can you, can you do the same audition? Can we do it? But can you maintain that authenticity of being Kenyan? I'd like to just hear you read this character and speak in just your natural dialect. And I did it. And when I did it, he said, you might hear from me. And he called me back the same day saying that I'd got the role. And that's when I knew, wow, like that was the second or third audition I did, I believe, when I got out of school. And I went and it was even a paid audition. I was, I was over the moon because I went there and it got me a chance to see what it was like on set. Even the movie premiered at the Chinese theaters here in Hollywood for in one of these film festivals. It was an amazing experience just to go and see that live. And then having the experience of people coming to see you and watch you and, and understand that your artistry is real. So seeing myself on that big screen, I was like, wow, you know what, Dennis? I can get used to this. I enjoyed doing that. But even though that was not what I am, I actually had not envisioned myself on the big screen at this point. I just envisioned myself as doing the work it was like a mini victory again. I saw that and I was like, you know what? I can do this. And that kind of steamrolled me into a lot more projects. I mean, I did a project called Flawless, which I played a lead CEO that's in post-production. I managed to play um, an astronaut for a film called So One from the Mars Academy films. That was great. I also did um, a BuzzFeed video on YouTube speaking about what non-Americans think of Americans. That was fantastic too. I have also worked on an, a film where I got to portray an African called Separfe. And Separfe was a great film for me because again, it was another moment in time where it validated I am really enough for this and I can do this. It's just about how far do I want to take it? It was an audition that I submitted online and I sent it. It was the last day. And this time I did not make a mistake. I did all the work that embodied this African character, unlike the first role that I did. And as soon as I sent in the self-tape, I was called for the callback a week later. End up going for this film. The director ended up loving me. He said, you know what, Dennis? I received your self-tape on the last day when I thought I had done all I had done. I had looked for all these actors. You were the last one to come in. And when I saw the tape, I was like, you know what? This is the one. He's bringing authenticity. Interestingly enough, the character had a lot of work to do with my background too. He was playing this uh, PhD scholar and he was living his first day in America. So that was fantastic. It was not his first day, sorry, my bad. It was his family that was coming over for the first day in America. And I was receiving them to show them all the trials and tribulations as someone who's a foreigner within the state. It's set in 1994 after the Rwandese genocide. So it was, my family was coming to the USA as a result of that. And it showcases the tumultuous times that this character went through with the family and the dynamics that consist of 
immigration and just emotion when it comes to losing loved ones. So C'est Parfait is the film's name. And I ended up doing that film. And when I went on set and I was really enacting this film is when I knew, you know what? This is a good thing. This validates that I can actually have a foot in this industry and a, and a stronghold on a specific niche. And I can see it molding every day. And the validation from that film further on came through about a couple of months later because after that film was showcased i went for a birthday party of a friend and this friend of mine uh, it was a pool party and as we were having this barbecue one of the girls comes up to me and she says oh um i really love your acting and up to my head i was like you really love my acting where did you see my acting what did you watch and she said i really loved you the role you portrayed in separfait it was really good and your acting is i loved your authenticity the fact that you brought your authentic kenyan self to the role in order for the film to be seamless and people to connect within it and i was like wow you know thank you so much for that compliment but i have to be thankful to the script writer i have to be thankful to my director my castmates as well and she was like yeah that's that's amazing so someone who i did not know totally told me this and i had to ask her where did you watch this film and she told me oh i watched it at the USC Cinematic Arts Showcase, the University of Southern California. And they had a showcase where they showed this film. And she saw it and she remembered me for a mental note. And guess what? Whilst I was in my recovery process, I discovered this girl is actually a casting director and a writer. And then I, she reached out to me like months later, almost six to seven months later, to enact a film called Ibeji, where I was playing an African father who had two evil twins. And it's like a mini horror film that's currently in post-production. And she just reached out to me off the strength of me putting my all into that role, bringing the authenticity. That was another validation that, wow, people are seeing your work. You're going to get to where you get to, but you can control what you can now, which is what I'm doing. I'm still exercising my muscles through doing online classes uh, on Zoom and workshops to keep improving my dialects, to improve my range, to improve my prowess. I'm working out every day. I'm becoming a stronger person physically. I'm strengthening my instrument. All I can do is control what I'm doing right now. So if you put your all into something and not leave what you can control into chance, I believe the universe listens to us. The power of imagination. The universe really listens to us. There's a man called Neville Goddard. He says, you need to accept states and understand what other state you want to achieve. So I right now, as a tennis smiley, I live and breathe day to day as an actor. I see all the actors on certain planes and levels within this career. And I understand, you know what, Dennis, just like that A-list actor that we see every day on TV, you are doing the same career. He's an actor. She's an actor. You're an actor too. You, I live and breathe every day like an actor. No doubt. Albeit we're in different states because sometimes it takes time to get to that event. But guess what? I'm in the process every single day. And this is what Neville Goddard says. He says you need to have that power to imagine and live in that state that you want to be or you're aspiring to get to. And sometimes he says it's hard because those seemingly safe moorings, those things that tie you back, those things that scare you from living and making your dream or so-called what you're trying to achieve a reality, you need to let go of those things. Of course, in a calculated way. No one is saying drop all you, what your responsibilities are to get what you want to get. But make that plan. Understand that there is somewhere you can get to. And guess what? Seeing myself on the big screen at the Chinese theater was a validation. Going for, the, for another film I did, a sci-fi, and going for a one-day premiere, and it was where I was playing with a lot of kids, and I saw these kids, and I'd take photos with them, and they'd be like, oh, look at this guy. He's the one who was in the film. Those small moments just validate that you can get someone. Now, how far I want to get is up to me, but I don't see a ceiling because I've, I'm embodying everything that I've brought in all the way from being that child with that rubber duck squeaking up to now when I'm sat in my apartment, sadly, 24 hours a day, because of the coronavirus. But everything I've learned is important, you know? When I think of success, I think of a vision board, okay? And I see a vision board is something that you put forward and you know you have certain milestones you want to hit. I want to, like, for example, in mini checklists, I want to be able to do the American 
dialect, the general American dialect. I want to be able to do the standard American dialect, the Southern American dialect. Those are little milestones that are leading to a greater piece of the puzzle, you know? So these are small mini successes that I look at on the way to my ultimate goal. Of course, my ultimate goal is to be on every screen you see, doing every job that I would love to do and live that fully. And to get there, I have to love each and every part of that journey. So success is understanding that even to get to that screen, as I foresee right now, when I get there, there will still be things I have to encompass to be more successful because success you can always keep changing and moving that yardstick so it's very important to understand that the successes you achieve are just milestones and embrace and revel in that and be happy in that be happy that you've done what you've done at a specific point in time take that as a success take that as a win celebrate that know that for you Nobody understands what that success means because it's different for different people. Whatever you accomplish in life, nobody can know what you are going through. You can explain it. You can try and make them understand. But guess what? Hey, Adele, me, I wear size eight shoes. <laughs> if you're size nine, you can never fit into my size eights. That's a, that's a fact. So the fact that I know how much I have to do to get to where I want to get to is a success already in my eyes. So I am living my fullest life as we speak. And I feel like just living an unhinged life is very successful because at the end of the day, we're here to live. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. Wasn't that just such a beautiful story? There's so many things he said that I was like, wow, first you have such a brilliant understanding of yourself like such an awareness of yourself and where you want to go and life and being alive but also I think many people can identify with you are good at something so that's something that you study in school but you have this passion that is unconventional dependent on which culture you're from and you want to pursue it but you, there's so many voices telling you not to. And I just love that Dennis just up and did it and had a support system around him. So in that regard, I think this is a very inspiring story. I also liked when he talked about even when you have this passion and you're making a life out of it, you have to exercise that muscle. I always have to remind myself to do that. There was a point last year I stopped reading about audio production or watching tutorials. But towards the end, I was like, oh my God, Adele, don't, don't forget, you have to Keep exercising this muscle. Keep trying to get better at your passion or your craft. And I've always just been so fascinated by actors because I always assume to play whatever role it is, you have to let go of who you are or find synergies between who you are and, and, and the role. I always assume on the outside looking in, of course. And I think to be able to do that, you have to have such a high level of self-awareness. So I look at actors i'm like you must really know yourself <laughs> it may or may not be the case but that's that's kind of like what i feel when i look at acting and the ability to perform and bring this character to life you know i mean i tried it i was in season two of this show called stay and that was hard and then they gave me such a complex character who had so many issues some of the issues she was going through were triggers it it was very challenging. I enjoyed myself, don't get me wrong. Very challenging. And it just made me respect the craft even more. Do remember though, if you want to tell your story on this podcast, all you have to do is send me a story demo. Tell me a bit about the story you want to share. So just try and make it one minute. <laughs> I was going through the hotline number and I was just seeing three minutes four minutes <laughs> try making one minute but either way i do appreciate the demos that come through and we'll take it from there the hotline number is plus two five four seven six eight six two eight seven nine zero so you can send your story demo via whatsapp and you can also celebrate the last 100 episodes by sharing an audio note about what some of your favorite episodes have been, something you learned on the podcast. It could even be something you learned about yourself. 
I'm really enjoying receiving those messages. So yeah, those you can send to the hotline as well. Hi Adele, I hope I'm not late to sending my message. I just wanted to say that Legally Clueless is one of the dopest, dopest podcasts I've ever listened to. And that's actually how I introduced myself to listening to podcasts that was last year when this whole corona thing happened. But I'm so proud of you. I'm really, really super proud of you. I think this is another version of you that we didn't even get to see on radio. It's a version that's lighter. It's a version that's inspiring. Not that it wasn't there before, but now it kind of just pops out more. I enjoy every time you talk about your mom because I still have my mom, but my dad passed on. So for me, when you talk about grief, anytime you talk about grief, you touch on grief. Those are one of my favorite episodes that I really, truly enjoy. So I hope you continue inspiring us. Thank you so much for this podcast. I think everyone should listen to it. Be sure that I send all the episodes that I enjoy to my friends and I've recruited all my friends. So congratulations on the 100th episode. Not so many make it up to this point and still stay the same. So thank you. Oh, I found that so sweet. Also because I think now I've reached a point where I don't care when it comes to grief. I just talk about my grief anytime. But there was a moment I thought I sounded like a broken record. But it was what I was feeling at the time. So I found validation in that space where I'm like, but this is what I'm feeling. And so to know that it helps others navigate their grief or understand their grief a bit better, it helps on the times that I doubt myself or hold back from talking about my mom. And I really do appreciate that there's a sense of pride you have about the space that I've made, a space that we can share. I am so thankful for that message. That is so, so sweet. I really do appreciate it. Also remember, you can catch this podcast on Trace Radio if you're in Kenya. It plays every monday wednesday and friday at 12 noon and at 7 p.m so if you're in nairobi you can catch trace on 95.3 fm if you're in nakuru 91.8 fm kisumu my home you can catch it on 99.1 fm eldoret 90.9 fm and mombasa 92.0 fm we have also just joined amazon music so for those of you in the diaspora you can listen to legally clueless on on Amazon Music now and those of you in India you can listen to the podcast on Ghana. Paul told me I've been pronouncing that wrong. It's not Ghana, it's Ghana. Ugh, I can't get it right. Ghana. G double A N A. Sour. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.